here's a question for you. When you pick up a really old book or even a really old document and you start to read it, have you opened up a line of communication with the past or are you just looking at etchings on a piece of paper that have persisted through time, even if that duration of time stretches well back before your life and might in total be longer than your life? Is it nothing more than what it seems or is a kind of time tunnel opening up? That's in many ways the theme or at least the thought experiment of the story that we're looking at in this episode today. It is Express to Beijing West Railway Station and my guest here to talk about that story is its author, Mu Ming aka Gu Songyun. We had a pretty interesting and very tangent rich conversation but of course before I can launch you all into it, get you onto the, uh, get you all on board the discussion train. First we're going to get on the news train. So first news item, uh, it's a YouTube video actually. Now I have not watched this, that's becoming a bit of a theme these days on the show. I, I don't tend to have read or watched these things, I'm just highlighting them for you to check out. It's a talk that Chen Fan did in promotion of the book he jointly did with Kai Fu Li. AI 2041. The talk is titled How Chinese Science Fiction Imagines Our Future. It was with Cornell University and he's speaking to a couple of professors and a PhD student called Song Han is moderating it. I guess that is not Han Song. Maybe maybe it's Han Song's evil twin. That would be cool. So that's up on YouTube. It's just over an hour and a half long. With videos like that, I prefer not to watch. I prefer to like have it running in a tab, stick on a pair of headphones and listen to it like I would a podcast. But then again, I am a podcaster, so that's not so surprising. Now, the next news item I've got is, it's again, just another interesting YouTube upload. This one's only got 19 views, but it looks like it's quite a gem. It's an uh, just over a one hour talk by Gloria S. Tsung, an associate professor of history at Holland College. And she's talking about a very interesting topic. It's a biblical imagery in unlikely places, Christianity and early 20th century Chinese literature. Now, again, I've not listened to this talk, not watched the video, but I'm going to read the blurb or a description or at least part of it, just so you guys know what, what's going on here. Here it goes. The first three decades of the 20th century witnessed both a remarkable expansion of missionary endeavors in China and the rise of anti-Christian and anti-imperialist sentiments among Chinese intellectuals. Surprisingly, the authors of this period who championed a new Chinese literature often employed biblical imagery in their works, infusing them with a Christian ethos. And then it goes on to say that Gloria S. Tsung is going to look at that paradoxical relationship and she's doing it, oh, in a case study of the author Ba Jin's novels. That is awesome. If you guys haven't heard of Ba Jin, he's probably the biggest name author from Chinese lit who was an anarchist, like a left-wing a radical anarchist who was in the movement of left-wing writers at this time in history and kept kept working in, in one way or another in the decades that followed and even after after the revolution. Fantastic. Yeah, and if by the way, if, you, if you've not listened to it, I have an episode on a very short piece of Ba Jin's writing, Hong Kong Nights, so do look that up if that interests you as well. Okay, last news item, just got three today. It's a, an issue of the Chinese Literature and Thought Today journal. This is a spin-off of Chinese Literature Today. Now, what is what? I'm trying to remember what university runs that. Don't remember, but in any case, it's a big uh, journal in English language, sort of Chinese lit translation and 
Studies, and this is their spin-off, Chinese Literature and Thought Today. And the new issue, I'm highlighting it because it has a couple of uh, sci-fi related things in it. Chinese sci-fi seems to really dominate my new segments, but whatever. So uh, one of those things is a new translation of a Hansong story. I believe it's from 2003, and it's called SARS Survivors Association. So you probably don't need to think very hard to uh, consider why that could be relevant to things going on today in the world and in uh, China. Uh, another thing that's in there, it's an article uh, called Such Great Sites. It's by Virginia L. Conn, uh, one of the hardest working, I suppose, or currently working academic studying Chinese lit in the English language. And her essay is called Aestheticizing the Future of Labour in Little Smarty Travels to the Future, which, if you don't know it, is a really important piece of children's literature in the Chinese sci-fi scene from the 80s when the genre was sort of, when you could write it, when you were allowed to write it again, basically, or when windows were opening it for it to be published and read as entertainment. Uh, so yeah, that that's there. There's some other cool stuff. Uh, the academic Chris Song, who's one of his books I've read, uh, has a essay, or has writing on poetry in there. And there's a conversation in translation on Liang Hong's China in One Village as well, which has Carlos Rojas, the tran Roja yeah, Rojas, the translator in there as well, and some other big names. Sabina Knight is in there too. Nick Admissant, the more I scroll, the more I'm realizing there's lots of names I recognize here, but also names I don't recognize. So if you have academic access, you can download and read everything here. If not, a few of the articles uh, are set up with ac uh, open access so that anyone can read them. If you have a, f well, I'm saying this slightly unofficially, if you've got a friend who has academic access, then maybe they could get the PDFs for you. I'm sure the sky won't fall if you were to do that. So these things are up online, but do be aware they've, they've got the kind of standard academic paywall um, in front of them. Just just be aware of that before you get too excited. And if you really want to read that Hansong story, let me know. Maybe I can help you. Okay, that is all for the Translated Chinese Fiction News. Thank you for listening. I hope it didn't drag on too long, because now I can lead us into, or on board rather, the Express to Beijing West Railway Station, and you can hear my conversation with the incredibly smart and incredibly, incredibly sharp, that's the word I'm going to go for, the incredibly sharp Wu Ming. Right, so on the show I have the sci-fi author Mu Ming. I think it's been a while since we've had an author on, so that's really awesome. Uh, Mu Ming, great to have you here. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, thank you, Angus, and I'm really glad to be here. So I'm Mu Ming, and Mu Ming is my pen name, and my Chinese name, the legal name is Tong Yun, uh, Tong Yun Gu. So you can search for both. Uh, Tong Yun, the spelling is C-O-N-G-Y-U-N. Mu Ming, you can see where it goes. Uh, so, uh, I'm a sci-fi author, um, mostly writing in Chinese. Um, I publish in Chinese primarily, but my work has been translated into multiple languages, uh, English, Italian, Japanese, so on. And uh, currently, I'm uh, also a software engine. Um, as my day job, I, I, I'm living in New York City, uh, working for uh, big tech companies. Um, I started writing in 2016. Um, the trigger was like a writing contest online, it's a Chinese one, uh, encouraging new writers to write uh, novelettes novellas in different genres. So at that time, I feel, I, I'm not saying I'm feel, I, I was feeling the calling, but there is something, you know, 
the motivation was like I was trying to bridge the gap between what what I was working on, which is uh, you know some kind of high tech stuff, with my love or my passion, the long last two passions since my childhood, with my passion to literature. So sci-fi is the perfect combination of those. And uh, yeah, then I started. I think this year is my sixth year of writing. Uh, I'm still a new writer, but I do learn a lot and I got a lot from the you know the six years past. And I I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna continue doing that. Awesome. I have a a, a question about how mm-hmm. your your work maybe feeds into your sci-fi writing. You mentioned you're working mm-hmm. for a big tech company. Um, mm-hmm. If I think of uh, chi- modern Chinese sci-fi writer in big tech, the first name that comes to my head is Chen Fan. And in, I guess mm-hmm. not all of his stories, but definitely quite a lot of them, you can see where his like day job experience is maybe mm-hmm. feeding into the writing he does. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel it's similar for you or are you not especially focused on that side of science in your sci-fi? Yeah, definitely. Actually, I work, Chen uh, Fan was my co-worker. Uh, <laughs> not at the same time, because but we, we both worked in Google. Yeah, I'm still working in Google. He left uh, a couple of years ago. And we were both working in the Google's advertising kind of department. So yeah, I, I think I'm more tech-driven by him, uh, comparing with him, because uh, I think I am just a software developer, the actual coder here. And uh, I think he got more involved in business side, but he has really good sense of how the technology goes and the product kind of things. So uh, regarding the question, I think, yeah, definitely. Um, I also have stories, not only one, but a couple of them that has a direct relationship with this, what I'm doing or what I what, what I have been done during the, you know, the, the working Google. Uh, one thing I think one of the story uh, you can take a look, which is available in English is the Colors Award, uh, which is included in this anthology. Uh, this is called uh, Vito, the future of healthcare. Yeah, I'll just describe this one for the listeners. Uh, Mooming's holding up a beautiful white book with a <laughs> robot hand holding an apple on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see that uh, this is edited by uh, uh, Ralph Ambrose, uh, uh, editor. I, I think he, he's a really good editor, although he, he's an indie editor, but he's really good. He he is living in uh, L, uh, LA, uh, New York. Right. Yeah, so it's a West Coast. And uh, this book was like focusing on the future of healthcare. Uh, and my story was, you know, using the experience directly from my day-to-day job, which uh, is a, some topic covering uh, accessibility. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of this word, but uh, basically there are large portion of our modern UX and UI designs focusing um, on, the, on the issues raised by accessibility. For example, how people with uh, disability can use internet or how the people with disabilities, certain different levels of disability can leverage all the techniques that build, build around us. So of course there are other things in that story, but that one, that particular component was coming from my working experience. So this is something you know I use directly from my working experience, but there are a lot more things that my working experience in tech industry teaches me. I think one, most important thing is about the thinking process or how do we resolve the problem? Because in in the tech world, 
um, I think the most thing you most important well the most important thing you want to keep in mind is like you need to get things done. So there is a very famous code called uh, "done is better than perfect." So you really, <laughs> I, I think it applies to writers, uh, especially for young writers or new writers, because many people they have great ideas, they just cannot finish one single story. Uh, but this is not the case for developers uh, like us, because we use the method called iterate, uh, iterative approach or iterations. So many of my stories were written many times, especially for the longer ones, um, the novella one or the one uh, I am going to tell you is uh, you know, published or you know, in a more formal format. I, I will put, okay, this is the first time, second time, third time, things like that. Um, I, re I rewrite, I keep rewriting and rethinking of the stuff over and over and over and the list. Eventually, it will become something very different from the beginning, but it does get better. So that is one thing I think is not common for many writers. Although I, I do know some great writers, they have this kind of habit, but not everyone. And I, I, I don't think it's a common practice. Once you're right, you're done, most people think they are done. That is one thing. And the other thing I think uh, tech industry teaches me <laughs> is the, 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 the mindset of learning. So I have been in the tech industry for like 10 years. I started working like 10 years ago. Until today, I'm still learning a lot of things, a lot of things related to work, related to my project, things like that. And I think that is very important to sci-fi writers. Actually, it, it applies to all kinds of writers, but for sci-fi writers, it's especially important that you can learn because technologies around us and the environment changed by technology around us is changing every day. And uh, your writing, no matter the content or the formats need to be changed, need to evolve very fast. And you need to absorb those information floating pieces around you from whatever channels available to you very quickly. And you, you need to have your own way of study, organize and uh, Right, so that is the thing. I I think that is the most important thing tech industry ha, 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 has taught has taught me. So, yeah, there are a lot of other things, but I would just mention this too. Yeah, I think it's very true about the importance for sci-fi to stay up to date. Like, I don't, I I would guess it's quite similar in all language media, but certainly like in English language books, English language films often the writers seem to just be kind of ignoring the existence of smartphones and the internet and how much yeah. we, we use them. Yeah. The places where I've seen them most are maybe like thrillers where they're good for like urgent conversations and secrets hidden on people's apps or whatever. But like a lot of, a lot of fiction because they introduce so many complicated problems and things that, you know, ways for characters to communicate instantly I feel like a lot of writers don't even go there, not to mention all the crazy psychology of the internet and the way it can drive you mad. But sci-fi is really well poised to, to get into that. I feel like that is a whole other hour-long conversation. Yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll keep us moving. Yeah. I do have one little additional question mm -hmm. about yourself. You said you were a colleague of uh, Chen Xiaofan. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, in general, since you're now all the way over the other side of the Pacific, closer to the Atlantic now mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. What's your experience been as like, do you still feel you're part of the like, sci 
young sci-fi scene in, in China and what's that experience been like both before and after leaving uh, actually, the country? Yeah, I, I think I started my writing in New York, not really in China. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. because I was like, um, go, I, I was like going to uh, grad school in, in Pennsylvania uh, in 2010. And then I graduated, find a job and uh, things like that goes on. And I started writing pretty late. I, I started writing in 2016, which I had been working in Google for like one year. And I think I need to write. Uh, but, you know, the reading can date back to old days, like when I was in China and I, I was also, you know, schoolmates with Chen Chongfan. We, we, were, we were both went to uh, Peking University. I, I, right. I, yeah, I, 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 I did reading like Xin and uh, some, some kind of Chen Chongfan and other big authors uh, when I was in China. Uh, but the writing started, started in U.S. Um, regarding the new wave uh, of Chinese sci-fi, I'm not sure exactly about what is the range of the wave you are referring to. It's yeah. like considering all those, uh, you know, from Liu Cixin or Han Song or just uh, like the real new writers. <laughs> let's say uh, millennial writers. Okay. For millennial, I think we are pretty closely connected because, you know, we have internet, we have everything. We are, we were the millennial generation, not I see generation, but we, we, we use internet from very early age, right? So um, I still have a, I, I have a lot of connection with all the writers, Chen Fan and Sadia and the younger ones. Uh, I'm not sure if you have heard of them, but for example, uh, Wang Kanyu and Shuang uh, Shimu, uh, okay, Wang Kanyu is Ricky and Wang, and I think she is pretty oh, wild. Yeah, so yeah, we know each other personally. Uh, we know what they are writing, and uh, we know that we have different styles. But we can communicate very easily because we share the kind of background, and uh, almost all of us has have some kind of background in multiculture. So we know what is happening right now. It's, it's not like like one hundred years ago or twenty years ago. People don't know each other because they are, you know, on the two side of the of the ocean. It, it's not like that. I think that is one thing that not happened. Uh, and regarding the the actual, you know, kind of recognition and uh, your position in the group of writers, I think I'm a I'm a little bit kind of like uh, you know <laughs> not that in the in, in the middle of the of the wave or of the Chinese uh, young writers because I it, it's not not because I was I I'm in New York. Uh, Okay, some part of it, the reason maybe I'm in New York, but the reason is like, I I feel in our generation, the millennial generation, people are trying to get their stuff done in a more diverse way. And I think it's very good uh, for me. Some people, for example, oh, I shouldn't mention that, but, but some people, they want to, you know, be the center, be in the center of the so-called uh, Chinese new writers for sci-fi and they go to all the meetings, conference and uh, mm -hmm. speak them up, uh, regard themselves as a representative of, of Chinese young sci-fi writers. But I, I pay more attention to other things. I want to be the one that connecting to other mm -hmm. circles or connecting to other cultures. I can, I, I can do that because you know, I live in I live overseas, and I I am I am in the tech industry, and I also have a very 
uh, great passion about not only sci-fi but uh, traditional literature or you know the mainstream one. So I got a lot of recognition and awards in uh, in Chinese sci-fi uh, kind of circle. I got Nebula, uh, Chinese Nebula. I got, I got the Galaxy Award. They gave me really great help and uh, recognition. But I am also exploring the opportunities for uh, for from like a mainstream Chinese literature. And I got some kind of exploration, help, and recognition there as well. So I'm instead of being in the center of Chinese sci-fi young writer, I tend to be on the border of that. And I want to enlarge the scope. I want to enlarge the territory. Or I want to connect the two or three or whatever dimensions we have here. And I also have um, working with different uh, creators from different fields. Like I currently I'm, I'm developing something uh, more related to film adaptation of Colors Award. Huh? So yeah, I was working with uh, filmmakers and producers. Uh, they are all over the world. So my my director was in, uh, he, 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 he's, he's actually English, English director, right. uh, but he is living in Japan right now. And my producer, he was in New York, but he now moves to Beijing. And our whole crew was like, you know, all over the world. And I, I'm also working with some kind of virtual production team, um, people there in New York. And uh, they, are no, they are not writers, they are not sci-fi writers, but they are using some sci-fi-like technology to enable storytelling, which really sounds really cool to me. So I was working with, uh, I'm working with them to get more things done. Um, not in the traditional kind of like writing, writer circle, but in the broader and bigger creator circle. Yeah. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Myself as, as a reader and an occasional writer, I really love genre fiction. Mm-hmm. But when I'm writing, well, yeah, more so when I'm writing, I find that it's not really natural for me to try and write something in a genre. I think mm-hmm. I'm just too yeah. stubborn because I, I don't want to conform to all the things that make the genre. So it's con- it's a contradiction. On one hand, I like it when other writers have sort of made it very clear that they're in that uh, circle or their style meets ticks those boxes. But <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if you yourself don't like to be constrained, it's only natural to throw out some lines or to only partly conform. But then the funniest thing is that I think the writers are often most remembered are the ones who've pushed out or the ones who are most remembered in the genre but also outside the genre are the ones who have pushed out the, the territory the most who've yeah 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 different i'd love to yeah. talk about that for an hour as well <laughs> but let's yeah. let's talk about the story for the episode sure uh, so it's express to beijing west railway station you mm-hmm. are the author of the story you probably know it better than anyone else in the world so could you give us the elevator pitch for the story yeah, uh, honestly, I am pretty against the idea of elevator pitch of any stories. I know it, Horrible it is business necessary. language, right. <laughs> yeah, yes. and because it's really kind of like, for example, for this one, it's really short. Mm. It's 5,000 words, and you can read it like in 10 minutes or 20 minutes, and it's online, free, things like that. Mm. You don't need to pay for it. Right. Uh, the reason beyond, uh, the reason for that is like, um, I think stories, so, it's a way for us to understand complicated information uh, and uh, other things like tweets or your 
self-expression on social media need to be short, need to be clear, need to, to be on the po- to the point. But for, for story, it might be the only way or the most traditional way, the, the oldest way for us to, to understand the complication of the world. And the oversimplification of understanding actually caused a lot of problems we are facing right now. Yeah. No matter it's like the bipolar kind of thing, uh, you know, the, those kind of extreme um, languages we're using or, you know, some bad influence um, the social network gave us yeah. actually comes from those kind of oversimplification. I, I had a, sorry to interrupt, but I got to get this in here. I had a meeting, a training actually at work yesterday, a guy who's been with the company, or at least I think with the company more than five years and has been doing what Mm -hmm. he does for, I think, a decade or more. He Mm -hmm. uh, was schooling us on how to do emails for business. And he he actually is dyslexic, but he's worked through that to kind of master this business style of writing an email. And it's the most minimal, stripped down, functional thing it can possibly be. He kept saying, like, you don't need to waste words on trying to be nice. Don't ask people how their day is. You just you don't waste their time. Just write a piece of writing that is designed to keep the ball rolling or to get a response. On one hand, I thought, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And it's considerate in the sense that it doesn't waste the other person's time. But it also totally throws out all the sorts of social grease on the wheels. Um, It it discards the value. uh, For the sake of making things shorter, it discards all the more invisible values that you were describing. And it yeah, made me glad that I have that writer's or at least <laughs> literature degree perspective <laughs> that on one hand understands brevity is great, but on the other hand, the extra words sometimes have a purpose that is just harder to measure. Yeah, yeah. It's worth spending them sometimes. Yeah, uh, but I, I think I can give a, like a question rather than like a real kind of summary uh, of this story. I, I still want to answer the, story, uh, answer the question, but uh, I think it's in a more kind of like intuitive way. Um, so the story, I think, can be uh, concluded or can be introduced to you using the old fashioned what if um, we, we were really using in, in like uh, speculative fiction writing. So the what if question is actually very old school as well. So question might be might have already been asked by many Greek stories, but I'm asking here again. <laughs> so the story uh, can be concluded or introduced to you of the what if question is, what if you find a way to change one thing in the past of your life? Do you want to change it? How do you want to change it? So, okay, that is my elevator pitch. So <laughs> might not be that appealing, but I think it will open the gate for you uh, to the story. Yeah, it's funny that relates to like two or three of the questions I've got mm-hmm. further down my, my notes here. But yeah, that that is like the big, I guess, the big uh, dramatic question. Mm -hmm. I'll just so the readers know what we're going to be talking about. I'll try introducing uh, how the story goes. I won't spoil the ending, but um, we have a it's first person. So someone is narrating their visit. Um, They're getting the train now is it's from Xi'an back to Beijing, right? It's not the Mm -hmm. other way around. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a male narrator who's trying to get from Xi'an North Station to Beijing West Station. And um, I guess for for anyone listening who's never been to China, 
this is an interesting thing that I guess most Chinese, large Chinese cities will have more than one station and they are usually named after a compass point. The, the oldest one will just be called like Beijing station, but often the biggest ones will be like the South station or the North station. I'm not so familiar with Beijing, but is Beijing West Beijing's biggest station? Yes. It is, right, okay. And something is a bit strange. This guy's ticket isn't being accepted. And I think long, long story short, it transpires that the train he's going to be getting on is a time travel train. And your ticket is some item you have that connects you to your past. And I don't know if you want to spoil it, but he, um, he, he, uh, he uses a diary in the end to go back. And he realizes he's got an opportunity to change the past and therefore redo a, load of, a, a big portion of his life. I think that's, that's more or less it, right? Yeah. So I'll take us to our next question, uh, which is, aside from time travel writ large, what's the science driving the story? Because a time travel story, I guess, could be fantasy. So what's the science in the story? Yeah, so I think there is real science in the story, although it is derived from the science format of describing it. But uh, I think the main thing here, when I was writing the story, the main core of science here is the observer effect in quantum theory. Uh, so in summary, I, I don't want to explain quantum theory here, but in summary- yeah, Wrong podcast for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the thing here is like in physics, um, I'm just reading from the wiki. The observer effect- <laughs> You didn't have to say that. <laughs> the observer effect is the disturbance of an observed system by the act of observation. Yeah, so it can link to it. Uh, many astonishing quantum theory findings, like the delayed choice quantum eraser and things like that. Um, it's totally sci-fi. I mean, it, it, it's more sci-fi than, than you think about the real quantum theory. It, but one thing I really want to, you know, build a bridge here is it's not really about quantum uh, quantum theory to our daily life here. We need a bridge between quantum theory and our daily life. And what I find in between is history. So as I said, I have multi-culture uh, background, not only uh, about you know China and the Western or Eastern and Western, but also about you know literature and science and you know uh, history and all those great uh, humanity uh, studies I have been reading through. So. So the hidden layer of history uh, of my uh, my thought in, in in the between of quantum theory and the, the, the personal life story is like because of the uh, observer effect, uh, history was like we can imagine that history was shaped by the observer and the recorders of the history uh, as well. So if you think a little bit more, I also mentioned some kind of history stories in in this more than story, but you can see like how history played a part. Uh, between the hard size and the daily life story. So that is one thing I really want to convey. So basically you can imagine there are three layers of the story, the quantum theory, which I don't think anyone will really dig into because of this story, but also the history part, like how our observations actually shapes our history. Uh, or you know some more grand history, but for this story, it's more like a personal history, and how the, our personal history actually affect our personal life. So these are the, like the connections here. 
Yeah, so regarding the, 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 the question about like the hard science, are you asking that? I'm just reading from notes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. I said science, I guess I didn't say hard science. You yeah. mentioned quantum theory, but is there, yeah, yeah. If there's more that you want to say about that. Please yeah, 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 yeah. So my way of thinking of using science, especially uh, the so-called hard science in the science fiction is a little bit different from many uh, other authors or readers. Um, because I tend to, I, I, I'm a science student from my, my college. I study computer science, uh, information science, and I am also uh, kind of into like not quantum physics, but some kind of uh, physics. So my way of thinking of science is more about a thinking process rather than some very concrete and uh, formatted theories or formulas or ground truth kind of thing. Of course, we need to know that. But the most important thing science taught me was the way it, of thinking. It's more like a, you know, way of thinking rather than a, like just a, some facts you need to remember or you need to memorize. I think the most important quote I, I want to read from science, <laughs> I want to read about science uh, is from this book. This book is uh, called The Art of Doing Science and Engineering. Right. Bye. For <laughs> listeners, this is a really nice black hardback with like shiny gold lettering, quite small. Yeah. 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 So this is by Richard Hemming, uh, one of the greatest, uh, I think, ACM fellow. Uh, he, he, uh, he worked in uh, the Bell Lab with Cloud Channel, the, our, our master of, of information science. So he, he, uh, Richard Hemming is also a, a great master of information science. So I just, I, I just realized I didn't make the note. What was the title again? Uh, I, I will send you. Uh, it, it's called. This is actually clear. The art of doing science and engineering. Got it. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I tend to use those masters' viewpoint of to describe what is science, and uh, I just want to read this to all your readers or listeners. I just want. I would just read it. Go for it. Yeah. So. Uh, Richard Hemming said, we live in an age of exponential growth in knowledge, and it is increasingly futile to teach only polished theorem and proofs. We must abandon the guided tour through the art gallery of mathematics and instead teach how to create the mathematics we need. In my opinion, there is no long-term practical alternative. So you can see, according to the greatest scientist and engineer, one of them, um, it's more like we 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 are we need to teach something more about the way of problem solving, uh, the way of thinking, rather than teach them some kind of formula or, you know, uh, fundamental truths. You need fundamental truths, but science is more more about that. So that is something I want to develop in my story as well. I don't want to tell my story in a, in a way that, okay, because you know this theory and you can understand the story, or if you understand the story, you, you know new, new theory or something like that. I, I really want to let people think about it and uh, or give you a path or possible solution to think about a problem and uh, find your own way to resolve it. Yeah. Yeah, that was my feeling as I was, uh, after I finished reading it for the first time, I thought, mm -hmm. this isn't really a story that you can solve. It's not a puzzle story with an answer. And 
I don't think there's any magical theories, um, but that's fine because uh, we're doing an interview. We're going to weave all in, all in and out of the story rather than trying to solve it like a, a math problem or a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So I'll take us on to my first uh, category of questions uh, mm-hmm. all about railways. Um, listeners of the show who've religiously listened to every episode will have noticed I'm a little bit fixated on railways. Um, although the railway system here in the UK is not perfect, I love. I have a local train station. I, I love riding the rail there. And obviously living in China, that was a fantastic uh, chance to go north, south, mostly north and south, but also east and west on the high-speed rail, the Gautia. That was just phenomenal. Um, so getting back to the story, um, what led you to pick a railway station as the setting of the story? That's part one of the question. And then part two, why Beijing West Station? Why not another mega station like Shanghai Hongqiao or something? Yeah, uh, this is an easy one actually because this is, yeah, this one was like a themed writing or like a, a invited writing um, for a Chinese uh, science fiction gala uh, mm. during the year of 2018 for Chinese New Year. And uh, the theme here is like you need to use Beijing West Station as a part of your ride. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but yeah, I, I think uh, I can explain a little bit more about that. I think the the theme is really interesting here because Beijing West is like the biggest uh, train station um, in. I'm not sure if it's only in Beijing, but probably the the top three in all over the China, uh, all over the country in in China. So it's the portal, especially during the Chinese New Year's Eve, Beijing West is actually the portal sending people home. Right. There are a lot Huijia, of right? yeah, Huijia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going going back to your country, you know, after a year of hard working in the big city, you need to go back to your country. And uh, for many people, this is a real experience because it's not only about you know go go from London to Paris. It's not like that. Uh, it's more like a from your urban life, uh, a modern life to some kind of rural life or some, mm. you know, some, even some small village where you don't have toilet. <laughs> so, yeah, so the connection or the connectivity between the, your, between Beijing and the, whatever your hometown is really important because the difference between your starting point and your destination might be very different, no matter it's in the space or regarding, you know, the life of uh, uh, the style of living, or, you know, sometimes it, it even looks like you're traveling from one world to another. Yeah. Because China is so big and the development of each area is very different. Um, so it's not like traveling around Europe and you can see everything very well developed. So that is something really in- important and interesting here. Um, yeah. Just reminded me of a, a quote. I'm just going to have to Google it so I can find the, remind myself of the exact wording. Oh, yeah. So you might know this line. It's a William Gibson uh, quote. The future is already here. It's just yeah. not very even. Uh, it's just not very evenly distributed. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, it's because I think I've said it enough. I've said on this show enough times to the point of being a cliche that even just a car journey from a Chinese city into the countryside is maybe arguably a kind of time travel. Yeah, yeah. When I first arrived in China, I was in a small town, quite a wealthy mm-hmm. one, called uh, Wukang in mm-hmm. uh, Zhejiang. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like 
contemporaneous with my life. I'm from mm-hmm. a small city in Scotland. But then rightly on the once you were outside of Wukang, you were in the countryside and that did feel like stepping through a portal. And then when I went back to China six months after I went home, uh, I was in Shanghai and bang, that was that was the future. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, moving yeah. forward in time. Yeah, yeah, you can feel, yeah, you can feel, especially if you are in Shanghai and Beijing for the first time of your visiting, and then you'll go to some countryside, smaller towns. I think Zhejiang is actually still very well developed, mm. but if you go to a uh, western side of the country, like some small village, uh, I'm from, I, I was born in Chengdu. Uh, Chengdu okay. is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a big city, but to just travel like 100 miles in, in further into the western side of china you will find everything is so different yeah so i think that is some very important thing for us to understand more than chinese life that things are so different uh, in different area or region of the country and you cannot really you know get conclusion to something if you just visit the big cities yeah yeah and i i'm not sure if the new year journey home has come up on this podcast before Mm-hmm. And probably most of the people listening, like nine out of ten or more people listening, know what a big deal it is. Um, but if if anyone listening hasn't been to like a Beijing West or a Hangzhou East or a Shanghai Hongqiao, either when everyone's going home or when everyone is coming back, that's could be the most people I've ever seen in my life. Like standing <laughs> yeah. on the balcony, looking down on Hangzhou Dong. Oh my god! Um, at the right time of year, it's it's like nothing else. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> these aren't just people who are going on a normal journey. They're going to go on probably quite an emotional, or at the very least, important trip home. It's it's weird because it, in some ways, it's kind of similar to going home for Christmas here. It's also so much more <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. From, not that yeah. I've not that I'm Chinese. Not that I've done that, but it doesn't take a a genius to 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 see and to understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you yeah. I would say that. See it for uh, seeing how people are moving from country to uh, countryside to actually from Beijing to countryside, or you know, experiencing the so-called Chenyun. Chenyun uh, in direct translation will be Spring Festival transportation. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. observing that will be a lifetime experience for you. <laughs> yeah, mm, totally. Yeah. Uh, I'll take you to my next real question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about um, Han Song. I forget if we mentioned um, Han Song already. So he's not a millennial. I guess he's like a Gen Xer. Um, I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, he's 16th, yeah. Right. He's mm-hmm. pretty much my favorite Chinese sci-fi writer. I think he's mm-hmm. he seems to be quite popular um, with certain <laughs> certain Western readers. My, and yeah. I'm, I'm in that group because he's dark and edgy, but also yeah. he, he loves transport and he loves... Or he likes writing about transport, and he likes writing yep. about trains uh, mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. And Hao Jing Fang has a train New Year story. Um, that one is in in English translation. It's in Ken Liu's Broken Stars, mm-hmm. and it's also got uh, like a sort of a wormhole. Uh, I don't think it's time travel per se, but it's got some some kind of similar dynamics to to your story. So I was just wondering if your railway story, when you were writing it, did you have Han Song or Ha Jingfang's work in mind? Um, and even if you didn't, do you think there are some interesting ways to compare them? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> uh, 
when I was writing this, I I was writing from my like own point of view of of things. I feel like anytime an interviewer asks an author, were you thinking of this thing when you wrote the story? Like 99% of the time they're like, no. No. You guess wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting because readers can see the seemingly possibilities of the connection, but actually the connection is somewhere else. But it's really interesting. I think it's the passion or it's the charm of the story itself. Like we are connected by so many things that we didn't notice. Uh, for me, this story, um, the train represents many things. Um, I think the most important thing or the, the thing I, I had in mind when I was writing the story is like train is representing the transition of era from, like I said, from Beijing to some small town, uh, uh, small villages. You can see the train is actually connecting from the modern life to the pre-modern life, especially in China, in the spring transportation kind of events. And uh, one of the thing, one of the story I do have in mind when I was writing the story was Ray Bradbury, mm. uh, the dragon. I'm not sure you, you you guys have have read it or not. I've actually never read any Ray, and maybe one short story that I don't remember. But basically, I've never sat down with a Ray Bradbury book. No. Yeah, um, it's okay. It's really short, and I will spoil it here. <laughs> if you're yeah, go for it. Yeah, Ray Bradbury <laughs> would be mad. Yeah, so so the dragon here is like it's a really simple story, and uh, I think just a one thousand words or something like that. So, it, but it's really something to me because at the beginning the story was like two knights, as in the fantasy. They were, they were riding on their horses. They were talking about how to kill the dragon. The dragon was so scary and uh, making big noises and things like that. And you'll feel, okay, this is the Euro Western fantasy story. But later on, the story developed and uh, the atmosphere was here. And at, at the end, you'll find the dragon was a train. So that is basically that is the story. You can see how simple, but astonishing it can be because it actually connecting the two kind of things the traditional western story uh, western fantasy happening in a middle age uh kind of environment to the modern stuff like the uh steampunk or something it, it, it's actually the train the passing train actually is is representing can the dragon as well as you know the modern life so it's really charming, and uh, I really like that. And I think it's also it is also reflected in Ken Liu's Good Hunting. Uh, Good Hunting is a kind of like steampunk thing, but there the, the train also plays a very important part there, uh, especially considered the uh, history background Ken Liu uh, was written uh, was the in the nineteen thirties or nineteen twenties or the beginning of the. 20th, 20th century and the, 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 pl the place where the story happens um, was Hong Kong. So a place where East and Midwest. So you can see that kind of thing. And train in all those stories are the way of transitioning from, from old to new, from pre-modern life to modern life. So that is something I was thinking about. But of course, I developed something different here. Uh, but to to me, the connection was more, you know, in this kind of kind of uh, story rather than how they find Hansel. 
And uh, another thing I want to mention here is more personal kind of experience. Uh, it's like for uh, I really like train and use the train um, as the symbol here, uh, a symbol here for the writing. It's like I think um, it's a very good metaphor of connectivity. And I pay a lot of con uh, attention to my story, and I use a lot of different metaphors for connectivity doing different story background. And because I think connectivity, the concept and the, how things go around that is one of the most important thing internet taught us. Before internet, we, we, we don't have the so-called the, the so idea of, you know, people can closely connect it like this. And the connection can bring so many great things and it can bring so many problems. This is a completely new, new problem or completely new phenomena to the age of, you know, uh, Gen Z and uh, millionaire writers. I, I don't think many great old writers or great old master authors, they are, they are dealing with this kind of thing. This is something we need to deal with. So I explore a lot of things to describe, to, to, to tell the story about connectivity. What is the good, what is the bad, what is the different format, things like that. Yeah, and I think train is actually, you, you can see uh, the similarity between train and the concept of uh, connectivity. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so many different thoughts to digest. Um, <laughs> oh, it's it's definitely true. Trains, trains can take a lot of different forms in the real mm -hmm. world and in our mm -hmm. imagination. Like off the top of my head, um, I didn't always ride the fast train in China. I rode, uh, there was a couple of times I rode the slow train and it, like mm -hmm. just the environment, the, so, the little mini society um, mm -hmm. inside those trains is very different from inside the, the fast trains for sure. I have, I have a friend uh, back in Scotland who lives in a small town called Brecon, which has a historical railway that's been preserved. And his mm -hmm. family actually, I think they've taken over running it basically. So his oh. mom and dad are like the managers. And in his free time, uh, him and his brother will be driving this steam train. So like, you know, a real uh, water, it's got fire inside of it, like a, wow. like a, like a dragon, like a Western, yeah. a Western dragon anyway. Yeah. And he's not like a steampunk guy. I don't think he's a huge history fan. He is an engineer, though. So every so often on his Facebook or his Instagram, I'll be seeing him in his old school uh, train driver's uniform covered in suits. And he looks like he's from the past, but outside of that context, I don't think he cares much about the past. It's just through the machine that he, that he makes that connection. I was wondering if you ever uh, saw a Chinese film. Uh, its English name is Kylie Blues. Chinese name is uh, uh. Lu Bian Yetan. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, that's got a train that I think it's sort of implied is sort of a time travel. Mm -hmm. train as well it's done really really subtly and i believe that even the chinese name is a sort of a sci-fi reference i think it's yes, named after yes. the russian story yes so yeah that's as i know i didn't really have any comment there but <laughs> you might think on first like if i went up to someone a friend and said yeah trains are basically about time travel if you think about it they'd look at me like i was crazy but once you <laughs> dig into it yeah it starts to make a lot of sense yeah 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 i, I know i know the movie i i, I I think I have watched it, but probably not in, in theater. I think I watched it online uh, on some streaming service. Yeah, I, and I do agree that uh, you can see that many uh, directors and creators and writers, 
um, in China, especially young writers, young creators. So, so the director, I think he is also uh, born in 1980s, uh, a racing star. Actually, um, you know, in in this group of creators, including me, we were raised up in the age that train means a lot to us uh, mm. because you know uh, when we were uh, when we were at our childhood in our childhood, um, China is was still kind of like underdeveloped, and the train was the thing that people need to everyone need to ride the uh, ride the train to home uh, to to their hometown for like the spring transportation or if you need to go to visit your parents or parents uh grandparents in other cities yeah I car, spent like, car ownership hadn't taken off right it was no 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 bicycles still no so train was the only thing you can rely on if you want to go from go to the other city or the other side of the country so i was like spending three days two nights in a train um every spring <laughs> spring festival when i was like uh five to ten years old Later on, we, we do have flights, uh, fly back to Chengdu. But when I was a kid, I, I, I rode these trains. I, 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 I took these trains you know, through the mountains, see all the rural areas, and finally get back to Chengdu from Beijing, where my parents was working on and my, my, and my grandparents were still in Chengdu. So that is like a common kind of experience for many um, you know, millionaire creators. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Crazy <laughs> to think they might have become a millionaire, but they are going to have that same past. Yeah, I've actually done a long a long train from Chengdu. I did a trip, a holiday, went flew from Shanghai to, or did I get the train? I think I flew to. Maybe I did get the train. I don't remember. But I went to Guangzhou, and then I flew because the trains from Guangzhou to Yunnan, I think, didn't at least the Gautia did not exist. I think no. it has been built or is being built now. But I flew to、um, Dali, and I think even yeah, from Dali to Lijiang, I did get the train. But then for the next stop, I flew from Lijiang to Chengdu because I didn't fancy the train journey. But for Chengdu back to Shanghai, I thought, you know what? I'll try this. I'll I'll try the thirty-hour train journey. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I didn't enjoy it very much, and I think that's because I was on my own. I got the feeling that the people who enjoy the overnight trains or the big long journeys, it's because they did it with their friend or their family. Yeah.、Uh, sometimes, and sometimes it really depends on are you stopping anywhere, and do you know the history of that part of the country and things like that.、Mm. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, we can talk about this for an hour, but Again, I don't want to. Let's keep moving. <laughs> yeah, keep moving. Yeah, like a train, keep moving.、Yeah. Don't stop at the station too long. <laughs> okay, next set of questions.、Uh, it's about regret、uh, and how regret relates to time. Because it's true, you can't have regret without time. You could have happiness without、uh, the past, I suppose, but regret. Literally, it doesn't happen unless there is something to regret behind you.、Um, so we talk. You, you said that the basic kind of question in the story is, "What if you could go back and change something?" And that is, it's the exact same question for a story I recently covered on the show.、Uh, Atreus, goodbye, Doraemon. I don't know if you've read that one. Uh, actually, I haven't, but I, I think I, I know what he was trying to say. I I read some spoiler, I think, but、okay. not really the story. Yeah. 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 So yeah. the basic idea, I stop. You may already know, but I'll say for listeners, 
basic uh-huh. idea is uh, a millennial guy uh, who's done well in the big city goes back mm-hmm. to his hometown or he no he had done well but his life has collapsed but everyone still thinks he did well um he goes back home to his home in the countryside and it's it was a poor village when he's a kid but now it's it's kind of village society is crumbling it's even worse uh and it he it turns out he has a way to go back and uh help the girl who was like his sort of childhood best friend slash crush and he has a way to fix her life and fix his own life possibly um and it's kind of all about yeah childhood pain regrets going home for new year and yeah the chance to go back and change something um there's i guess there's a lot of that in in world culture the there's a, an american film that it's kind of a stupid film but uh, i think it's quite fun as well it's called the butterfly effect it's a very similar deal i think a guy discovers he can go back in time and he immediately tries to use it to fix all the things that went wrong in his childhood. And the drama there is that every time he does something, something else goes wrong. Classic, yeah, classic mm-hmm. sci-fi kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I was just wondering, like, what what do you think it is that makes so many time travel stories take that approach about trying to fix all the things we regret? Yeah, I think that is something people. It, it's like it, it is probably the most relevant experience you can share. Uh, using a sci-fi format or using a sci-fi uh, story like that because it's so emotional and it can be attached to everyone's experience. We all have this kind of moments of regrets or think about what if I have been done something differently, how it will change our current path, things like that. Yeah, I think the reason for the popularity <laughs> or the popular kind of uh, acceptance or creation of this kind of story is mainly because of it's so relevant to everyone's life. But for me, um, even though I was using that in this story, as one of the you know driven force of the of the story, I I don't want to see that there. What I'm trying to do is more than that, uh, because I was using something about you know document document or like a diary or things like that to actually hold the your token of changing the past or something like that. So uh, I know, uh, you know, relevance to personal emotion and the, how the personal emotions inside the reader using a story is very powerful. But that is not the only thing I think the time travel story or sci-fi story can do. Uh, in this kind of uh, sci-fi storytelling. So I want to explore something different. Um, so here I will do a little bit of advertising. So I, I really recommend people who have in, who have interest to, to read the, uh, the longer story of my, which also covers the relationship between uh, time and space. And if things, if things can be changed, what will change? Or if you can see the future of the of your life, of your family's life, or even of the country's life, the, the all the things you loved, how what, what do you want to change? And if you can change, or if you cannot change, how do you accept it, or how do you deal with it? So the longer story is the Serpentine Band. It's a historical one, but it, it is translated into English. And it's a really, really long one. I think it's a novella one. Uh, it has uh, 10,000 words. Uh, 
20 is thousand word uh, uh, approximately and the is a little bit complicated it has a um, setting in Ming dynasty it has covered a lot of different things like land, uh, Chinese landscape and painting and the history part but I think it is fundamentally <laughs> discussing the same thing or similar thing about if we can see the future or if we can change the past or if we can alter any part of the, the history will we do or if we, we can see but we cannot change what we will do what is the actual feel uh, feeling we will have so it's more like a tech chance classic piece the story of your life uh i think pe many people know it because of the movie uh arrival so in that story we we were basically talking about a similar topic like if you have already seen the future of your tragic your family tragic what do you do with that so i think that is something I think can be explored more in the form of time travel. It can be very relevant to your personal experience, but it can also explore a lot more than, you know, the very uh, traditional question of if you want to fix it or not. What if you cannot fix it, but you know it? I think this is something, something probably more, uh, you know, interesting and important for us to answer. Some some things in our lives are going to happen. Yeah. Um, so some of them are kind of dark um, yeah. uh, and are hard to think about. And there's mm -hmm. maybe other things like less personal things like climate change. Mm -hmm. It seems like uh, we're headed for a scary future there. And as an individual, mm -hmm. like there is the question of what can I do to make the problem less bad? Like how yeah. can I consume less energy? But more yeah. realistically, like what am I going to do if... Uh, let's say there's a refugee crisis in my country like you may yeah. as if you're living in the UK you may as well think about that now <laughs> in advance because it's probably yeah. coming you know yeah long-term thinking um what what was the the story or the, or the book you wanted to advertise just so I've got the name I'm actually going to have a Chinese collection um published in one month like in the, in the, yeah, this is my first Chinese collection, and it will contain some longer pieces which hasn't been translated to English, but very important to me. And I think I did my best in those ones. We do have quite a lot of Chinese listeners, so you could promote that here, and they might well buy it. Okay, okay, yeah. So in Chinese, it's Wan Zhuang Huan, the Serpent Type Band is the direct translation. And you know, uh, for Chinese to English translation, it's really very hard to translate novella because it's so long and uh, especially for this kind of thing because it's historic and uh, might not be so relevant from the first set to uh, western readers but if you are a chinese reader i think you you should get it pretty easily uh, but for english readers i really cherish the opportunity to, uh, that neil uh, neil clark gave us to actually translate it and publish it in the you know english magazine yeah. which you know <laughs> you know it's really is something because it, it might not seem that relevant but uh, you know it's interesting and i think it's different from most uh, chinese translated story uh, if you have ever paid attention to you know what neil clark and uh, ken Liu did they, they did a great job but they 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 pick a portion of chinese science fictions and this one is usually not in the kind of the english translations 
that people will find in those anthologies or collections. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my um, I, I did a publishing masters when mm -hmm. I started this podcast, and for my dissertation, I looked into like the publishing of Chinese sci-fi, mm -hmm. but also the broader context of all uh, translated Chinese lit, at least in translated into English. Mm -hmm. And I, to be honest, I wasn't being a very good academic because I went in knowing what I wanted to say, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, that's why I'm not a scientist. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I did find that a lot of, if not all, certainly a lot of translated Chinese sci-fi really is outside of a lot of the cliches or the norms. And people like Ken Liu um, have, yeah, made things new things possible in English lit in translation. I think probably the big the big um, enabler was the explosion of Three Body into English. Mm -hmm. and perhaps yeah. the thanks goes to Barack Obama's PR team for putting it on his <laughs> reading list. But, yeah. but individuals like Ken and like uh, Neil Clark totally made a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think what, you're say what you said about the fact it's like a novella, it's 10k words. So it's either a very long short story or a short novella. Yeah, it's I have been struck reading translated Chinese lit on Clark's world, I go into seeing, oh, it's a web page. So this will be quite a short, short story. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, the magic of web publishing is the web page can scroll on down for forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah and, and the writing is very condensed and there are a lot of, you know, landscaping stuff, geocrafting stuff, which are not really, you know, uh, familiar, uh, familiar with many readers. So there is some kind of effort you probably need to put in. But um, I do want to bring something totally different. I, you know, I, as I said, I, I want to be the one standing on the borders. So I want to push the Terran for translated Chinese story a little bit further to show people something different. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, I'm, I really need to keep us moving. Uh, next question. This could be a short one or a mm -hmm. long one. So the story makes use of the many universes theory, mm -hmm. I think. So the idea that... Um, let's say I make a choice to go to the shop, mm -hmm. maybe in another universe, at that point, the universe splits. We have a universe where Angus goes to the shop, mm -hmm. a universe where Angus stays at home. And then of course, they're going to keep splitting in all sorts of different directions. And I think the many universes theory says, yeah, these all exist. You just happen to live in one of them. So do you think that's true? And does it affect the way you live your life? Um... I believe it, I, I really like the idea and I really believe in that idea, but not in a scientific way, but more from a, you can say a religious way. So, uh, because, you know, I was working in Google's AR and VR department, although now I'm not working in it, but my, my husband is still working in Metaverse. So literally he, he is the one of the scientists that are building the Metaverse and Metaverse is actually our, version, the human version of, of multi-universe, right? Um, many people think that metaverse is just like introducing another virtual world into our world, um, like what we have been done in so many video games and things like that. But the core idea is not that. It, it, it actually enables us to create as many universes as possible. Although it's not our physical world, but it's more like a conceptual multiverse. And I really buy in that. Although I know many people don't like that, but I really buy in that. Not only because my husband was working on that, uh, but because I, I feel like many of the problem we are facing now is our limitation of the imagination of different future, different way of living, different 
social kind of organization or social kind of how to say that <laughs> social uh, the the style of living the and, norms and, yeah the norms the norms or even physicals or you know <laughs> what is good and what is bad mm. so because you know the web two effort and this, all the social network we are experiencing now is actually you know they were created for people to change in different ideas but they are now more and more central centralized you know one single tweet or one single ha hashtag can rule many different mind like millions of mind are saying the same thing this is something connectivity brings us but it can be something good we you know we, we, we fight climate change or something like that but it can also cause problems like people don't use their brain to think about different future but they just follow something strongly without thinking yeah i was saying to a friend recently some topics on twitter they're like a giant magnet or like a black hole they just yeah. suck the focus of so many people and make yeah they, they they make it a less diverse space yeah 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 so i think that is something web2 that is why web2 and uh, you know the single kind of way of thinking of one word actually need to be uh, changed that is where web3 and metaverse this kind of concept actually comes in because we feel like even though we developed the internet from a decentralized wish now it's become centralized because of technology and because of you know the awareness of the problem and we now need some new things to decentralize to be diversified again not only by tax but also by our thinking the way of thinking and uh, how do we actually be more diverse not be ruined by some kind of top-down ideology or things like that uh, to many different topics so that is why I, I i really have a religious belief in multiverse and actually my next kind of uh, series of story will be uh, i will call it it will be called many futures i don't think one future one good future can give us all i don't think that that one works we have been already you know gone through so many things that someone promised uh, pr promised us a, a better future and then we fell we 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 we, we, we the, the better future become a hell for for many people mm. and think I, only way to resolve it in my point of view at this time point is to create as many future as possible to imagine to imagine more than we can actually you know have here i think the truth is about imagination um and the possible uh, the possibilities of living in different worlds to resolve the problem is all about decentralized, diversified, and imagine different futures. We need to release our power to think about different things, different universe. Yeah, no matter it's the real multiverse thing or the smaller human creature <laughs> creation we have, the metaverse thing. So that is my kind of thinking here. I will try to develop more stories based on this thought. Um, and uh, hopefully it will be you know <laughs> in a format uh, later on be you know translated or something to be introduced by people yeah Ooh, there are so many replies i'd like to give um <laughs> about the metaverse and, and, and online groups and stuff because mm -hmm. i find that really interesting mm -hmm. but i am gonna keep us moving i'm gonna keep discipline, moving, keep moving. discipline yeah. myself um yeah. 
Right. So the next set of questions are about the soul and uh, being a lonely ghost lost in the maze of worlds is what I've written. I must have been feeling poetic when I wrote that. So, so um, you're in the story. You mentioned this a little bit already that how in the past um, or also right now, right now we're creating a document that mm-hmm. I'm going to put online and hopefully will stay online, get downloaded onto devices and maybe mm-hmm. stay in existence on the Internet perhaps, I hope, long after I'm dead. But as well as virtual uh, documents, there are all sorts of physical things we create and we leave our marks on. And people mm-hmm. have been doing that since the dawn of history on, on rocks. It's, it's, um, it's quite mad when you think about it. And they live long after the person who's created the mark has, has passed away and long after their body has probably you know, become one with the soil uh, again. So um, I just wanted to ask, do you think that's a kind of time travel if i pick up um i don't know a shakespeare play and i read that i guess that's a funny example because that's fiction and not non-fiction um but i'll stick with it though if i pick up that am i in a way accessing the past in a way that we could maybe call time travel yeah yeah definitely i think it's not not uh, it's really the thing i think it's really the core idea here is like we were using Narratives. Narratives can refer to history, records, diary, or plays, whatever things, story. We were using those things as portal to whatever place we want to be, or dreams. I think dream is the most ancient format of story. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so that is something you can see in the Kelly Blue as well. Uh, the, the director has a second movie called the last night on, on Earth or something, that it actually changes from, the portal actually changes, or just the way of connectivity between two places actually change from the train to dream. So he is using dream as a portal, but the idea is the same. You can you can see that as well. Uh, so that is of another religious belief of, of, of me. <laughs> so, so I have this kind of thing when I was writing stuff. So. I really believe in the power of narratives, no matter what format it is. So I really think that is the only way we can actually connect with others, with our history, with our ancestors, with people, you know, living on the other side of the ocean or things like that. Story itself is the portal, it's the train to get us there. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's not only time travel, it's also time and space travel. It's your the outer world with your inner world. It, it, it's the thing, story or narrative. I, I tend to use this word more. Uh, it, it, it's a trick here and uh, totally valid question and great question. Even a nonfiction uh, needs a narrative for, you to, for it to hold your attention. As, yeah. as a, and and if, if it doesn't have a sequence, at the very least, if it's just a random scattering of information, it's mm-hmm. going to be, if it doesn't have that, it's probably technically readable, but mm-hmm. not really readable. You're not gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to really force yourself to mm-hmm. to go through it. And probably as a human, what you'll end up doing is taking the pieces and arranging them into a sequence and a narrative, mm-hmm. because that's that's just what we do. It's um, it's about as natural as creating, what's the word? Creating um, artistic representations of things. It just seem seems to be as much a part of us as eating, sleeping. And, and dreaming it's funny uh, i don't when you mention dreams being the most ancient ancient thing um i think you've got to be right because um 
We've got a pet hedgehog in this house. Oh. And I can see sometimes when she's sleeping, just like a dog, she seems to have dreams because her yeah. leg will twitch. And it's like, well, if a hedgehog can dream, then the stories I've got in my head that are coming from, I guess, partly from dreams must have evolved from a very ancient mammal, probably from long before the monkeys and the apes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my cat dreams too. I, I, yeah, I can, I can see her. <laughs> uh, sometimes he's, he, 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 she is murmuring, and I think she's just uh, in, in her dreams, dream about hunting or something like that. So I think actually many great movies, um, actually, or uh, they, they are describing this kind of thing. Uh, the one of the greatest example I can think of is uh, Christoph Nolan. I think Nolan is always, always trying to convey this idea or express this idea, the inception, the momento, and even the later ones like uh, Dunkirk. But in inception and momento, basically he is using those fancy uh, storytelling techniques to tell us like dreams can be the equivalent of narratives, can be the equivalent of memories, and can be the equivalent of history. So in, in it, it's actually simple to understand because in movie production, all the things can be treated as the same. You you shoot a scene of of dream and then you 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 you, you cut it, you put it together, oh, and people say, oh, this is a this, this story happens in dreams, and oh, this story happens in in, in his memory. Mm. Technically, they are the same in, in the movie movie making uh, process, right? And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so if you look it into that way, you can see, okay, they are all just narratives or I, the, 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 the word I would use here is dimensions. There are different dimensions of narratives. And yeah. if you don't, don't really need to think about the dimension is a dream or a memory or history records or something like that. It's just a different dimensions. Yeah, and almost, I think almost all of his films are tied up with time in some yeah. way or other yeah which yeah time dreams moving through the world and this is a real reach but what you were saying about the metaverse giving you spaces to make other ideas possible the big con the main characters are pulling off in inception is all about taking their their victim so the main characters <laughs> yeah. are basically the bad guys in that film aren't they they're the criminals yeah. they're taking killian murphy um into a virtual space inside his own head because that's the only place where they can push him to um, to uh, you know reach a certain conclusion that he couldn't yeah. have reached in the real world. He needed to go into a, a, a what you can call it a dream or a, a created imaginary space. Mm-hmm. We're getting lost again. <laughs> so uh, but let's get back on the train. Yeah. Um, okay. So a few times on the, I start. No, I didn't start this show in the pandemic. But um, when I started this show, I had come back to to my real life from mm-hmm. a, quite an easy life teaching English in China to trying to start my career. I was not always very happy. And just when I could have been really making a move, the lockdown happened. Um, and although I kind of enjoyed lockdown because it was so interesting um, for for a literary mind, it was really a really intense experience. But it was also, um, you know, we I guess for years a lot of people of a liberal or lefty mindset in the West felt that everything was going wrong. We had Brexit here in the UK, and with the election of Donald Trump, you heard things in pop culture about 
maybe we're in the wrong universe. We've gone down the wrong track. And then COVID-19, if you were stuck on that idea and you hadn't become <laughs> mentally normal again, then COVID just seemed to make that more real. And I've, this has come up on the show again and again. So I wanted to ask you, do you ever feel like you've left the main thread of the universe you're supposed to be on and that you might be going down a different one? Mm, I think for me, um, it is not that surprising to me. Uh, like I, we are like falling down from the idol world. If, if that is the world we were choosing here, because um, you know, I, 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 I born up in, uh, I was raised up in China, and uh, I, I read histories. Both of my <laughs> parents are like uh, Asian Chinese literature, and there are, I, there are so many bad things happened from. 3,000 years ago. So I I know that there are tragedies, there are bad things, there are like things people cannot really accept at their when they were at their age or in that era. It happens. I, I, I don't think the pandemics is the only bad thing happening in our modern life. We, we do have like the two world wars. We do have a lot of different. Yes tragics happening even people you know in china people are still suffering you know uh in many places and uh, although pandemics is one thing that give us great kind of impact uh in a bad way uh there are a lot of other things that i i i cannot even imagine i can i can suffer or i can survive they're still happening today so i, I don't think that is something that you know, crashed me or, you know, distract me because of the pandemic, the, the nature of pandemic. Um, what I'm trying to do, and probably that is one reason for my writing as well, is to find some explanation or find some solutions, possible solutions, at least from a person's perspective, to see why it is happening and how do we deal with it. Although I know these are so big, questions and there are not so called like a right answer or something but at least writing those kind of stuff helped me uh thinking of it or find my own way through it like how do we actually overcome those kind of trauma how do we actually overcome those kind of lost uh those sorrow in our life so I, I do have some kind of writing, recent writing, haven't been translated to English, but, uh, you know, um, I was trying to uh, describe or express the feelings we, we have had during the pandemic, doing all those terrible things. And, uh, and I think I found the answer. I think the answer to me, especially, uh, at least for my, for my story, for my concluded story and my coming, upcoming Chinese collection, I think the, the answer is actually narrative is need is that we need to tell we need to tell the story in a not in a you know <laughs> very realistic way but with some kind of hope with mm. some kind of new possibilities with some kind of you know multiverse like attitude like we need to use the imagination to create the future for us so that is my answer at least for now to solve the problem. I don't think the idol world exists anywhere in the universe. I don't think that there is a perfect universe in the multi-universe. 
that every universe has its own problem. And the, the way for us is to create as many universe uh, for us to resolve it probably is to create as many universe as possible and examine it, live in it and uh, change it by creating another universe. So I know this sounds crazy, but <laughs> that is what I'm thinking right now. It's the yeah. answer we'd expect from a sci-fi writer. <laughs> I, I, one possible answer we should expect from a sci-fi writer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree that, yeah, once you take it the full view of history and the idea that the troubles we've had just now are some huge break in the continuity of history is, is silly. Mm -hmm. I, I, th I guess I thought I understood the idea that everything always gets better over time in history. I thought I was smart, too smart for that idea and that I wasn't a sucker for it. But looking back now, I can see, yeah, I was kind of a sucker for this idea that if something, if society seems to go backwards, the world must have broken. But no, society has gone backwards and forwards through, yeah. you know, through Chinese history, through European history, there have been leaps forward and there have been leaps backward. I think now that I'm in a job and stuff and I'm more attached to the real world, I feel like I have something I can do, whether in this podcast or writing or in my workplace to like, just do something because uh, yeah. it's all you can do. Yeah, Bor yeah. Boring, not very sci-fi answer, but... No, no, I think it's actually the same answer. I mean, we, you are also doing the narrative thing. We are just in different format. I really, actually, I really like talk to people who, you know, who host a podcast or, you know, just to be a, like a social network influencer, things like that. I know looks like it's different from a, like a writer, like a story writer, but actually we are talking about stories. Stories not, not need to be a novella or something that in that form, we, 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 we talk. We, we, we change experience, we, we tell our personal feelings just in different format. And I think that is really, really, very, very important, especially in the, in this era, in the era of information, in the era of, you know, mass media and communication, because I feel like you can reach two people, you can reach two people as deep as you can, you know, I, I mean, I, I, sometimes I, I even feel like Shakespeare or <laughs> other one, they, they, if they were today, they probably there will be a podcaster. There will be a <laughs> the top one podcaster as well. So things yeah. are changing. So don't don't don't. I think it's it, it's actually. I think one thing I really agree with you is like, no matter we are doing like a podcast or writing a story or writing or directing a film, I think the work we've done, no matter it's just cutting, editing, inviting guests, or just to stay in your own. <laughs> Say in your own room, write a, like a novella or no, novel. It, it's actually make you feel better. I think this is, it, it makes at least it makes me feel very stable. And uh, in the changing world, in all those kind of crazy news going on, I need to get something to make myself stable. I need mm -hmm. to gain the self effectivity that you know I can. I can I can control. I still can control myself, even if I cannot control everything else. I still need a way to control myself and express my feelings truly, and absorb all those informations and uh, you know convert them into something good. At uh, least in my in, in my point of view, I, I I can still achieve it by doing the creative job. So that is why I usually I, I try to use the word creators rather than writers, because I think writers are so limited in this this world. Creators can be everyone, can be podcaster, can be director, 
uh, Illustrator and uh, you know social media uh, uh, influencer things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like we are we are doing the same thing, just in different formats. Yeah, no, that is an interesting thought. Like if someone like Shakespeare or, to give a Chinese example, Lu Xun was trying <laughs> yeah. to um, were alive today, like would they be using the same medium? Medium? Yeah. Would they be online? Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a theory. I think Shakespeare he was too good at drama not to work <laughs> in that medium, but he's trying to reach a big audience. Yeah. I guess theater was the most popular thing at his, his time. Yeah. I think today he'd be writing Netflix series. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I and think I, Lucian will definitely be a great Twitter <laughs> Twitter master because he tweet, was yeah, like... Angry yeah, angry tweets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say he could do blogs, but blogs are kind of... It might have a Substack, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, a YouTube channel where he rants. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, yeah. Right. Um. I can take a. We're definitely getting silly, so I'll take us on to the silly miscellaneous questions. Uh, the next one is a, a, if you'd like to suggest a, a Chinese word of the day. Do you have one ready? Uh, yeah, I, I would just say the the one I have repeated for many times. I would just say xiang xiang li. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, xiang li, I don't yeah, know that one. Uh, it's the just the translation, the the, the plain translation of imagination. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's a word, it's a common word, and uh, it's, it's used by, you know, there's nothing fancy around that. It's just a, the, the translation of imagination. But I think it's really important, at least to me, and uh, important to all the things we were, we were talking today. Uh, so it is so important. So I even put it on my personal website. So if you mm. check, check my personal website, I, there is actually a quote by English uh, poet, the William Blake. So. If you check my, ah, uh, let me send you my. So this is my personal website. If you look into that, the front page. Mintimin.me. That is such. I've seen that one before. That's yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Great yeah. URL. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so you can see the only thing I put, uh, the most important thing I put on my personal website front page is this code, uh, by William Blake. He he says. The imagination is not a state. It is the human existence itself. William Blake is a cool guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think he would, when he was writing this, he was like 20s or, yeah. So, but it's really, really, really important. It's really very important. And uh, I think I got this quote by another British, oh, not British, it's an Irish writer, uh, the great Yes, the E.B. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so. Yes, he's actually uh, talking about this when he talked about the folklores uh, in in Irish, and uh, I think these are my some kind of my inspirations because I, I feel like even though they they are in the era of you know uh, ninety to twenty or even older time like the pre uh, pre modern life, they sensed how important imagination can be even today it's still applied and i don't think people today know what is really know how important it is as deep as this great artist this great uh, writers they know and uh, we, we we have already talked about so many about imagination uh, why it is so important in the multi universe or in the metaverse or in the in the in the age of information at that time like 200 years ago william blake they told us 
And yes, they told us that just by their imagination. They can imagine that imagination is so important today. And it is the human itself. Actually, I, 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 my, my Chinese collection, the one actually uses as a main theme uh, for, for all the stories. I have eight stories in the, in, in the book. Uh, I use this single code <laughs> as the stuff, as the main idea. I was building the whole universe in that book. I don't treat it as a poem or like a metaphor or something. I, I, I build a, a world around this. I, at the end of the, the last story of the, in the, in, in the, in the collection, I made this literally mean that imagination equals human. I made the equation stand. So, <laughs> so that is why I put it here. It's so important. And imagination yeah. here actually refers to, can refers to many things, can refers to other things we covered today. History, narrative, story, memory, personal history, or you know, the grand history. So, actually, if you think further, if you think about what is human, it actually it can lead us there very naturally because nowadays we we are more or less changed by uh, by by our experience about thinking what is human. I mean, like one hundred years ago, we we know that human need to be you, you need to have a body, right? You need to be some mon monkey-like animals and you need to make tools, things like that. Um, but later on, nowadays, as we are living in the age of information, living in the age of social media, I think it's not really hard for people to accept or for people to think about what is uh, the real human being actually means. Maybe our social media expressions are more essential <laughs> as a human comparing to our, you know, our, 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 our body. And yeah, we are, if I yeah. type something into the internet, I'm choosing consciously to leave a mark that yeah. I think is my, my expression of myself. Whereas what I do in my daily life is a lot more random and less perfect. Yeah. So perfect. this, I think, yeah, perfect. <laughs> so this is the old mind and body problem. Mm. We were thinking through the ancient Greek time. And now I think it is the time for us to rethink it because of the power of internet or technology or, or things like that. I think people will revisit this kind of story, like what is human because of the move of the technology. And I think in my stories, in my sci-fi kind of imagination, we will reach an end of the long lasting thinking journey that humans, what is human. So. I would just do the spoiler here because I think uh, it, 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 it was saying that that I think at the end of the story we will feel like we body doesn't define us or identity or whatever physical limitations. These things doesn't define us, nor those tags like your identity, your kind of you know um, which country you are living and uh, what's your background and things like that, or what's your, you know, kind of, you know, uh, exact, uh, is group you're, you're belonging to those kind of things doesn't define you as a, as a human. The only thing defines you here is, is, is the, is your mind, but the mind is, can be more, uh, specific. It's the way you, you are processing the information and related attached to all your memories 
our, our experience, but not in a physical form, but in more like a virtual form. You can imagine yourself as a big neural network <laughs> with storage. <laughs> so that is, you know, I am an engineer. I, 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 I'm very open to this kind of idea. And this actually, you can, this can actually be the equivalent of a story itself. So story is also a way to organize information, to organize all those, you know, sub components, dreams, memories, personal experience, and re-express it, you know, in a, in, in a, in a self-contained way. So I want to draw the equation of dreams or narratives or stories equals human, which also respond to William Blake's quote 200 years ago, that imagination is not a state of human, it's, it's the human existence itself. So that is why I, I choose this word imagination here. So perfect. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it, it doesn't sound too crazy for you, but you know, <laughs> give you some kind of different thoughts. Yeah, mm, it, it does. Um, I have a quick question. The the background image that you've got for metamin.me, mm -hmm. is that the, a bridge at Westlake? Oh, you are so good at it. I used to used to yeah. go to Hangzhou every weekend, yeah, so yeah, I've been yeah, across yeah. that bridge a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took it by myself because I, I don't want to run into you know uh, copyright issues, so I just mm. pick something I took myself. Well, yeah. the, the, well, aside from the, the fact that it's a place I have memories at, uh, I ask because if I'm remembering my history books correctly, that's a man-made lake, right? That's a product yeah. of human yeah. engineering from... Yeah. A long, long time ago. Yeah. So it goes to show that the things our imaginations can create can take all sorts of forms, including a lake. And even if a man-made lake is not a story, I know for a fact that from reading Chinese lit in translation, a lot of stories have been affected by West Lake and are set around it. Yes. And yes. it has, you know, it has a certain kind of romantic, peaceful, beautiful yeah. mood. Yeah. If you go there in real life, I think you'll feel it, even yeah. if the weather is bad. And if the yeah. weather is good, doesn't it actually? It looks. It's an amazing place in all weather. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in stories, some of that's there as well. Um, yeah, yeah. We could talk about West Lake for an hour. <laughs> sure, <laughs> definitely. West Lake is one of my favorite places as well. Mm. We can talk it for an hour, but we maybe yeah. can't keep moving. <laughs> yeah. It actually stopped me. So I was commuting by bus usually. It was more convenient than the the Gautier, ironically. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I was going into bus from Wukang to Hangzhou almost every weekend. But West Lake stopped me exploring Hangzhou because I just wanted to go to West Lake every weekend. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Hangzhou, the city, the city of Hangzhou is actually building around West Lake, mm. if, you, if you know that. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of stories happening here. And uh, I think, yeah, um, historically, there are like two bridges. One is called Sudi, uh, the Su Bridge, and the other, or Su Dam. Depends on what your what your thoughts are, and the one is called Baidi. So these are actually the two bridges or two dams are related to two of the famous uh, writers or point uh, poets in in Chinese history. One is Su is Su Dongpo Su Shi, and the other is uh, Bai Juyi. Uh, so they were uh, serving as Hangzhou's uh, governor in their in their age. So. They both like White Lake so much, and they built like two dams or bridges for the citizens to you know, go um, from one place to another. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of things we can talk about. <laughs> and there are also yeah more than great architecture 
uh, efforts in, in or, or architects. One of the most innovative Chinese architect, he built his stuff around Suzhou, uh, around White Lake. So we, we can talk for four hours for sure. <laughs> yeah. Easily, easily. Yeah. I'll take us to our next question. It's a piece of music you'd pair the story with. Um, do you have one? Um, Actually, I'm, I don't have one specific song here. I I I will, I will just recommend. Uh, I I will give you the link here. I probably I, yeah, I will recommend the original soundtrack of a Chinese movie. Uh, the Chinese movie is by Wang Kaiwei. Uh, yeah, the Grandmaster. It's a, like a, a, a movie about action. <laughs> it's about Kung Fu, but uh, the movie is really beautiful. And I think it actually has the best train fight scene, train fight yeah. sense. Yeah, we, I have ever <laughs> watched. Yeah, yeah. And the setting is about 1920 and to 1930s, you know, be, uh, during the World War II. Uh, actually, 1930s to 1940s during the World War II. So you can see that it's also a, like a, uh, a conjunction of different time, like we, we have discussed, like some pre-modern to modern, and the film beautifully shot, and the music are music are composed very well, and the train fight is a thing you must see. And I think the train actually resembles what we talked about because uh, the fight is all just next to the train, and uh, at the time the tradition Chinese kung fu has. You know, <laughs> need to uh, give the place to 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 the guns to the to the modern world. So it's all related to what we were talking about. The history need to make a move, and the, there's trains. The Western stuff comes in, and the, the invade from Japanese comes in. So all those stuffs are beautifully mingled in in that story. And uh, yeah, so I, I recommend watch the video, uh, watch the movie. But I mean. Uh, to the story, <laughs> to my story, to this simple one, um, you can see, I, I mean, the relationship maybe might not be that clear, but I think if you have been listening to our podcast for these two hours, you, you will feel why I, I choose this. There are connections here. Perfect. Yeah. I'll have popped uh, a little snippet of the soundtrack into mm-hmm. the episode, so hopefully the listeners got yeah. it. My one yeah. is pretty different. It's, although you could say it's a bit cinematic, it's a track uh, by a duo, a musical duo called The Black Queen, and the song's called The End Where We Start.
So it has a sort of a loop, time loop sort of um, thing just built into the name. And you kind of, it's reflected in the lyrics. I think it's kind of reflected in the mood of the song. It's a very dreamy song. It's very peaceful. It's a little bit uh, melancholy, but it's not, it's not high energy. It's not, it's not a fight scene kind of song. And I think some of that dreamy, sad feeling for me was in uh, your story, Express to Beijing West Station. And mm -hmm. we haven't really said why a time loop might be relevant to the story, but um, the idea that the end is where you start, I think is, is powerful, it's resonant, and I, it, must, it must have felt relevant to the story for me because just after reading it, that's the song I picked. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I listened to it. It's very different, but I I really like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I like that that group a lot. Black Queen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, then the next question. This is one I put on the show's Patreon account. So, uh, listeners, you're just going to hear because I'll have um, sped it up and cut it out. Um, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear what what Wuming's answer was to this question, go sign up for the Patreon. So, my question <laughs> for you is. Do you have, I'm going to read this precisely. Do you have oh. thoughts on the aesthetic experience of riding by rail? And do you have any favorite railway stations in China or in the world at large? I could go on and on about that, uh, but I, I think I'll close <laughs> off the bonus question and take us to our final sure. questions. Um, sure. So I realize I haven't adapted this, this question I've written. If our listeners want more like this book, where would you direct them? Well, it's not a book, it's a short um, story, and it's your yeah. short story. So I guess the <laughs> obvious answer is we could direct the listeners to more of your your writing. Um, yeah. So I'll let you do your advert. Also, though, where like what other stories or books that by other writers do you think he'd point readers, uh, listeners to? Yeah, definitely check out my other stories. Although they look... They, 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 so it might look different than this one, but you know, um, as we have talked, I think I, I hold some fundamental kind of belief or some fu fundamental revolved point of, of the world. So you can see the hidden connections between all my stories. So I will put my uh, personal website here and also I will give the links of my stories with English translation as well as uh, like other languages like Italian translation. I do have a anthology here uh, in Italian. So this is by an Italian publisher, which I'm really oh. uh, grateful. Is that, by any chance, is that Francesco Verso? Yeah, it's <laughs> Francesco Verso. <laughs> so yeah, so he made really great effort in translating Chinese mm. story into Italian directly. So yeah, he's like Italian Neil Clark, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm really grateful that I have him publishing my first book, not in English, not in Chinese, but in Italian. And I think Italian readers, um, they, they like it pretty well. Uh, so I was in a, like a book fair in Turin, as an Italian city, um, this May, actually. <laughs> so I, I met a lot of readers here. So if you happen to know Italian, you can check this out yeah. uh, directly. You can read Colora yeah, for... Il Mundo, is it? <laughs> Yeah, 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 Colorado Mundo, yeah, the, nice. yeah, Colors Award, yeah, and uh, for English, I have, currently I have four of them translated, and more incoming, and uh, as I said, there are also, like, adaptation programs, 
which can be shared more easily rather than like translation. Um, and uh, yeah, and and also I I, I plan to do more uh, in writing as well, like uh, short story series, as well as novels. And uh, I will try to get them as much translated as possible uh, because you know I really want to reach any, as many readers as possible. Um, regarding the the story like this, it's really hard for me to say because <laughs> I, I I feel like. Um, Although I got influenced by many, many readers, but uh, many, many writers, but for for reading, I think it's really like a personal taste kind of thing. And uh, what I find, I really find is like what I feel, you know, the similarity between stories and stories, or the inspiration I got from one story to another, it's not the same with with everyone else. <laughs> Looks like I really I got a very strange kind of. <laughs> <laughs> perception of the story and um, no one holds the same idea as me but there is one story i think i probably i'm not sure if it has a has a kind of like english translation but uh, it is by Lucicin. i think the idea here is somehow similar uh let me see if it has a english translation <laughs> uh probably not but for if you are reading chinese you can find it uh, the Chinese name is called uh, Xian Wei. Um, English translation is the fiber. <laughs> fiber uh, uh, by Liu Cixin. It's a very short story, but it's really well written. I think he used fiber as the same kind of um, or similar kind of concept uh, of uh, you know trains connected, and there is a conjunction of of uh, of the fibers. So. Although the story is, is pretty different, but uh, I think the, the core concept of the world building here is the same. And if you do like that, you can you can check that out. And for historical one, um, because there is like a historical elements inside this story, I do recommend a lot of we called historical sci-fi in Chinese. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how many of them has been translated. There is one but... in a Ken Liu book, uh, The Snows of Jin Yang. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, that's by by Zhang Ran, and uh, uh, there are a lot of great pieces uh, in that genre, but probably not really translated to to well. But I I think we should pay more attention to that genre because in Chinese literature history is such an important thing, and many great authors build great stories on that, and I'm trying to do more things on that as well because. Uh, I think in, in English world, uh, the the thing of story retold or revisiting like the ancient Greek uh, mythology or retelling the story of Shakespeare or those classics is also a very big thing, not only in sci-fi, but also in the mainstream literature. Mm. Um, I think one of my favorite authors uh, in English world is Margaret, Margaret Artwood. And uh, he, she has a lot of uh, stuff written in this format. And even, you know, in pop culture, we have George Martin. I think in the Game of, Game of Thrones series, uh, or you know, the Song of uh, Ice and Fire series, you can find a lot of history, historical elements. And uh, another favorite author of mine uh, is uh, the British one uh, who wrote the the Ken uh, Flat, the the one who wrote the. The, the pillar of the what is English name? Pillars of the Earth. 
Yeah, Care of the Earth. Yeah. yeah. I think my, my uncle once gave me one of those books when I was a teenager, but it was like book three. So I picked it up and I was like, what? what, what? And I didn't know what was going on because he didn't give me the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there is actually an a English drama on that. And uh, yeah, I think I, I, I watched it when I was in college. Hmm. I really like it because I, that, that is one of the first uh, like the historical contemporary novel I, uh, I was watching. Uh, a novel, uh, a novel drama, <laughs> novel adapted drama. I, I, I was watching. I really like it. It's only like three or six or uh, episodes, but it's really, really well, very well crafted. So I think in English world, the effort to retold classics in a modern way or retold classics in, or, you know, just to combine the, 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 the classics into some modern literature is it, a really big thing. And in Chinese literature, we have similar thing. Although it's not as popular as that, because I think people are still trying to get used to this kind of new format to do the writing. Uh, but it's a racing kind of thing. And I would imagine there are a lot of stuff great stuff coming out. And uh, because I learned a lot from what George Martin did, what Ken Fellow did, um, I would imagine that uh, the other great authors will have great impact in you know the multicultural kind of communication as well. And I do want to see Western readers' reaction to the Chinese Asian story or Chinese classic retold kind of uh, projects. Yeah. Yeah, you rem you reminded me there of something I meant to say earlier and forgot when you're talking about <laughs> travel being part of the literary history of uh, dynastic China. Mm -hmm. Journey to the West. That's like one of the four classics, yeah. and that's a slow a slow journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Not yeah, going yeah, to yeah, Chengdu, yeah, yeah. but I, I, close enough. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I like that as well. And there are a lot of you know different variations. Uh, and retold format of that. Story. Yeah, I I did yeah. see one of the more recent films, uh, film adaptations, and yeah, I definitely felt okay. It's the same basic story, but the aesthetics are definitely bringing in like modern designs, modern styles. Um, so yeah, it's not yeah, changing yeah. the story, but yeah, the modern world is leaving its mark for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think this journey or travel or grand travel or journey thing is. It, it, it's one of the, not only for Chinese uh, literature, but also for the great, greatest, uh, you know, of those classics, especially in fantasy. Quests, I think the, right? Yeah, quest and also uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm. That, that is one of my favorite as well. Uh, all the stuff is about a journey, mm -hmm. a journey. I, I mean, I, I, I watched the movie, the, 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 the uh, about talking to his biography movie. Oh, I, I think, what is that called? Yeah. I think it's just, is it just called talking, maybe? Yeah, I think it's called talking. But I, I think something he, so the movie doesn't really catch up. It's like, I think the, the main theme of that movie is the fellowship. Mm. He, it, the movie is, was actually, you know, based on his experience in the in the World War One. But actually, I, I think if you look closely into the, in, into the works, or especially in a lot of the Ring series, you will find journey is actually the probably the most important theme uh, comparing to fellowship. And uh, a lot of great authors hold the same idea as well. 
for example, Ursula Le Guin, which is also my greatest <laughs> influencer, uh, author, the greatest author to me as an influencer. Uh, she really said, she really put it in the way like, you know, stirring your story craft. So this is one of, uh, one of, uh, uh, one of her books uh, uh, telling us how to write story. She always states like that um, a good story should be a should should take you to to uh, uh, should take you to a journey like a like a ship, and uh, take you to different world and it send you back. Um, you are still at your own place when you close the book or you, when you finish the story, but you are a little bit different inside because you are experiencing a journey. You have you have you have done that travel. And that travel make you a little bit different. So I think that is the best illustration or best kind of expression of what a story is. Uh, very, very simple, but very concise. Absolutely. Kind of, yeah. yeah, it's definitely true in Lord of the Rings. They never stop moving. It's a great advert for yeah. hiking and horse riding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, what are you reading just now? Oh yeah, this is easy <laughs> because what I'm reading right now is not not a really you know story. It's a, more like a self help, mm. uh, self help book. It's called uh, "Creative Confidence: Unleashing the Creative Potential Potential Within Within Us All." So this is more. It's it's not a, the creative thing here refers more to designs. So this book was by a a designer, a legendary designer <laughs> in Silicon Valley. Uh, I think it, it's. Uh, what is his name? I, I I forgot his name. Sorry about that. But uh, the the author is the basically their form actually designed the the first version of of mouse of the yeah. of the Apple mouse. So you can see how legendary the book is. And and uh, the 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 author is also the founder of the design school in uh in Stanford. So basically, all those kind of industry design. In, uh, interaction design and the human centric design those ideas are like invented by those uh, by, by the authors so you can see and i think he also has a TED talk very 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 short one introducing this kind of effort and the main idea of this book is tell people that you can be as creative as you wish to be the creative no matter it's writing or just you know some develop some kind of new ways for you to solve the problem in your life this is not magic. This is not some mysterious thing that can only be mastered or can only be owned by writers. It can be done or it can be owned by anyone. Just to, it, this is a thinking process. It's a thing very natural to every human being. Uh, I haven't really finished reading it, but uh, I have already got many good examples here. One thing here I don't want to mention to you is like the author said, there is no, uh, he, he also got this from one of his friends, and that friend was a translator, uh, translating from Tibetan to English. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, we are also talking about translation here. And uh, from Tibetan, you know, there is no corresponding word uh, of the concept of creativity. <laughs> so there is no word in Tibetan describe those kind of things. And uh, do you know, or can you make a guess? What is the closest thing or closest word in Tibetan describing the idea of creativity? Is it dreaming? No. no. <laughs> uh, writing. 
No. Uh, building. <laughs> Closer, but still no. <laughs>、uh, I'm gonna have to stop guessing. <laughs> yeah,、uh, or actually,、uh, uh, the word here is actually nature or natural.、Oh. Yeah. So what? That, yeah, yeah. So this is very interesting because from this point point of view,、um, the author also、uh, make it very、uh, explicitly. It says that creativity or the ability to be creative is not something we learned or we we. You know, we we need to、uh, a lot of training or something. It's something every child can do in their childhood. We are born with that, so you it, it's very natural. Why to get the idea? You you see, everyone you know in, in our when 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 we was a, was a kid, everyone can draw. Everyone tell stories, although it, sometimes it makes nothing. But everyone are enjoying playing. You know, listen to stories, bedtime stories. Play with their little toys, making funny stuff. These are, these are our gift. These are our talents. Everyone has that. But later on, when we become older, <laughs> when we went to school, when we got trained by the so social pressures or things like that, we are suppressing our creativity. We we obey more rules. We play by the rules. We We, no, we 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 worked out. Okay, we are we're not gonna do this. We we just do our daily job, to,、uh, you know,、uh, pay get a paycheck and things like that. So we are not getting our creative. We are losing our creativity.、Mm. Uh, so that is the reason why they think、um, the greatest designer think it's not hard for you. We just unleash what's inside of us that got suppressed. So that is why they say even after like twenty or thirty years of modern life, as a you know as a modern、uh, person in the modern society, you can still gain your creativity pretty easily just by some kind of training or some kind of you know mind shifting process. And I think to be a creator is the way for us to unleash the burden or to to remove the. The thing that the society or all the around the environment is putting on us, and become our to 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 find our inner child, to find our creativity that that was born with us.、Mm-hmm. And I I I verified it. I verified it by transforming <laughs> myself from a boring software engineer <laughs> to a writer. <laughs> I transformed myself completely by doing this. I find my own child. In inside myself during the past five years, so I think everyone can、oh, do it. Is, so really recommend this book. That is great、yeah. because I'm the opposite. I grew up thinking, oh, I'm going to be a famous author, blah 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 blah. But of course, reality bites.、Uh, reality comes home, and I've had to teach myself to also be the the more boring guy. But yeah, I think what you were saying there. I could link it back to trains because、um, we're one thing that makes us different from trains is a train has the powerful engine. But it needs a driver、mm-hmm. to control it to go anywhere.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but、mm-hmm. we we've got these powerful engines. Like I use my、uh, writing powers to earn a living every day, and my、mm-hmm. digital media abilities that I learned, Jesus, from when I was about four. I think I I was first put in front of the internet like age four or five, something crazy like that.、Mm-hmm. Um, I have all those powers, and I use them to help another company work. But there's no those. 
you know, when the my boss is stops being my driver and I'm my own free time, that powerful engine for making digital content or for writing a story is still here and he's mine. I'm also the driver and it's easy to forget that. If there was more hours yeah. in the day, it might be a little easy to remember that. But there's enough hours in the day to get stuff like this podcast and your stories out there into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it doesn't really matter if you're like writing a traditional kind of novel or like whatever whatever thing. Podcasts can be very creative as well. I think our way of doing it is pretty creative. Creative. Hope so. This thing, yeah, can this thing can be not that you know traditional. It's already a thing that you know you can show whatever format. If you read the book, you will find many many creative examples. Not only limited to the traditional kind of art mm-hmm. uh, professions. I yeah. think I meant to say. I know I should be ending the show now, but I think I meant to say <laughs> earlier was you were saying how oh yeah, a podcast can be a bit like a creative work. I th- I think on one hand this is definitely second order because I'm talking about mm-hmm. other stories, but I think I've noticed in other people's shows is themes often emerge over time. You can see that a podcast about I don't know. Uh, uh, let me think. One about movies. The perspectives of the people who host it and their conversations will start to produce an overarching theme uh, that mm-hmm. reoccurs. And it, when a writer writes for long enough, the same thing happens. Like maybe without even intending it, a lot of your stories start revealing something about I don't know people who were friends in school together, and you didn't set out to do it, but it becomes a theme. And I think. Second order stuff like book reviews or podcasts can do that too. If you stick at it long enough, just like a work of art, uh, bigger ideas just magically emerge without you even forcing it. And I hope yeah. that's happening yeah. with mine. I think it's changing yeah, over yeah. time as I become a bit happier. <laughs> it's become less, uh, less existential and more hopeful. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think definitely. I think it happens to me. Like. When I would start writing, I write so many different things. You can tell it from my early writing. I, I tend to use different format, different style of text of storytelling. But later on, I think uh, when I was putting my Chinese collection, I, I, I found like something was always there. Mm. Um, it takes me like five to six years to notice that. And I feel uh, sometimes I, 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 I did get like an aha moment finding all those things are connected. Sometimes in a you know, in a way of a tree. Sometimes in a way of a, of a web or a net. I, I feel all these pieces are coming together, co- combining or connecting in a in a very unique way, and that is why I think that is why also it inspires me to think about what a human is. At least as a creator, I am a net, <laughs> or I am the web. Those connected things. Those. Connections, those kind of, you know, knots, uh, conjunctions actually makes me, yeah. At least my writer personality. Yeah, you have your meta you yeah. moving and yeah. the meta online pers- persona and <laughs> yeah. yeah, they all click together. Yeah. Okay, we could keep going on about this forever, uh, but I will <laughs> yeah. say goodbye now and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you for having me here and.、Uh, Glad to hear that.、Uh, glad to you know send my words to, to the podcasters and the, to, to the podcast listeners. And、uh, feel free to you know find me、uh, through emails or whatever things、uh, social network. I'll make、yeah. sure all your links are in the show description. Yeah. Thank you.
All right, that's the end of the show, and I hope you found it as much of a ride, pardon the pun, as I did. I, I did enjoy that conversation with Muming. Literally, I say it every time I enjoyed the conversation, but it, it's true. That's why I do the show, because I enjoy the conversations. If you, also, also the fame and adoration and the uh, millions of yuan that pour into my bank account every month. That's pretty good too. If you'd like to help more millions of yuan um, pour into that bank account every month, then you can go over to patreon.com slash trutrufic, T-R-C-H-F-I-C, in exchange for 0.000001 million yuan per month, you get access to every single bonus episode I've done, and there's a trickle of them coming out every two weeks or so. I haven't recorded any for a while, but I have a great big queue, so they still should be coming out regularly. At some point soon, I'm going to have to sit down and queue up some more. But yeah, there's lots of bonus stuff there. Usually it's about half an hour, sometimes less, sometimes more of me just talking solo about something I've just read or just finished, just started reading, just finished reading, preliminary thoughts, post-read thoughts, and also all the bonus answers to the bonus questions from these main episodes. That's all up there. Lots, of course, lots of other ways you can support the show. A great thing you could do is give feedback, um, do it via the social media, links at the bottom of the episode description. There's a Discord link as, that as well if you'd like a more open conversation with other listeners. That's all very good stuff to check out. Of course, the best thing I'm going to say that you can do for the show is tell people IRL. Tell people out there in the real world to listen to this show if you think they'd like it. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your ticket to... Tell your ticket conductor and tell that strange guy next to you on the train. You know, he's, he's maybe breathing a little bit too heavily, but maybe my soft, soothing vocal tones will calm him down and at least um, distract him as you try to enjoy your Gautier high-speed rail train journey. So until you get to your destination, Sai Jian. <laughs>